the goal is to like set up the lifestyle that you can continuously execute within and feel really good. And I think that's where the high performing team or professional athlete concept really resonates is like you don't want to see the best athletes not sleeping and ignoring their workouts because they're watching film or whatever 24 seven like you need them to have a balanced lifestyle to execute. And I think similarly, we really do want people to have a balanced life across the board. And we need to represent that with people who are further in their careers and, and in leadership in particular. I'm Ben Grenell, part of the growing team here at Levels. We're a venture funded startup backed by more than a thousand of our community members and some of the best VCs in the game, including Andreessen Horowitz. On this podcast, we talk about everything we do. We share the learnings about our culture and what we're building along the way. This is Inside the Company. There's an inherent paradox at levels in our work culture, or at least a seeming paradox. On one hand, we are an extremely self-aware work environment, which is to say we think a lot about culture and creating the kind of culture that we want and being very intentional about our culture. And that culture being one of positive, supportive, great place to work kind of culture. We really want people to have a work-life balance. We want people to enjoy work. We don't want people to feel overworked or burnt out or work from a place of fear. And we do a lot of things here to try to support that. And that's been true from the very beginning, from when the founders first put the company together. It's a big part of what drives the remote async nature of our work that we are, again, very self-aware and very committed to so that people can have their own schedules, so that people can balance work around their lives, take their kids to school if they want, or go work out in the middle of the day. Those are all things that are supported and expected. We have a mandatory week of vacation per quarter. We really truly ask people to please take that, both to recharge themselves and to help build resilience into the company. So on one hand, there's all of that. On the other hand, we are an early stage startup, about 50 people now, growing fast in a new field that we're trying to build of metabolic health at a stage in which, as we say here, we are default dead, right? We are not yet at that stage of the company where we're, you know, growing super rapidly and wildly profitable. We are still finding product market fit and building the company. And we all want very much to get to default alive. We want to get to that success state in part because we have a mission that we all here very much believe in. We're actually just trying to make the world a healthier place. That's what we're trying to do here. Also because we all have equity, we all have ownership in this company, and there's potentially life-changing payouts for folks somewhere down the road if we do achieve that wild success. So all of those factors together push toward an environment in which we all should be working all the time as much as we can, or at least it's possible to feel that way. There is an infinite amount of work to do, and there's real tangible output and effects of doing all that work, which is to say that as important as it is for us to create an environment where people don't ever reach burnout or even get close to that condition, there are also a bunch of conditions here that make it certainly possible for people to get there. So how do we reconcile that paradox? Well. One of the ways is we talk about it. We just surface this idea. We surface that paradox. We surface and talk about and discuss and pick apart some of these countervailing forces. We did that on an earlier podcast in this feed between Ben and Miz. 
Ms. Our head of people ops wrote a memo about burnout. Again, as a sort of first way to surface this within the company, called attention to it. Here's what it is. Here are the signs. Here's what can lead to it in our specific culture. Here's some things that can help mitigate it. But part of it is also just talking about it as we did in this conversation today with me, Mike Haney, the editorial director, Tom Griffin, our head of partnerships, and Josh, one of our founders. We just wanted to have a conversation about our own experience in previous jobs with burnout, how we deal with some of these countervailing forces that come up in our day-to-day, always feeling like there's more work to do, but also wanting to both live and model a more positive work environment. So we get into all of that in this conversation and come away with some ideas for how we can not just avoid burnout, but promote health. We don't want to just fix sickness when we get there. We want to promote a healthy work environment. We want to make sure people are living in a sustained, healthy way in terms of their work-life balance so that burnout doesn't even become a thing that's on the radar. So here's Josh and Tom and I talking about burnout. The topic today is burnout. And there's an episode that Ben and Ms. kind of anchored around a memo that Ms. wrote internally about burnout and how it particularly can creep up in async remote environments and early startups and mission-driven startups, basically saying we have a lot of the ingredients that could lead our folks to experience burnout. And I think On the other side of it, evidenced by the fact that we wrote a memo, recorded a podcast, and are now doing a second podcast about it, it is something we are very cognizant of trying to make sure our folks don't experience. (laughs) And we want to do everything we can to to head it off. Um, It's something that I've thought a lot about. I've thought more about being here than in other jobs, not because I feel a greater sense of it here, but I think because this culture is so aware this is a very self-aware culture. This is a culture here at Levels that thinks a lot about work and how we work and uh, more than any place I've been before. And so it's just made it more conscious for me. Um, and what I found as I started, you know, talking about this internally with folks is, you know, I'm not the only one who thinks about this here. And a lot of the people here have come from other startup environments, other early fast growing environments, you know, have experienced burnout in other jobs. Um, and so I think the idea behind this podcast is just to sort of have a casual conversation about past experiences, how we think about burnout here specifically. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see this as having any answers, although if you two have any, that would be great. Um, but I think it's more just to, to kind of surface the topic and, you know, give folks who are listening to this, who might have similar thoughts, some relatability to know, like, they're not the only ones thinking about this. Just to kick it off, I kind of think of burnout in two categories. You've got what is probably closer to physical burnout, like total exhaustion that can happen when you're overexerting for way too long and you've just got too much on your plate and are essentially, you know, physically drowning. Like you, you, there aren't enough hours in the day and you're doing it anyway. Um, but, and I think that's, and the second one is like indifference that develops over time. and, And it can be both like, you're aware that you're at a place that you don't, really align with the mission or it doesn't have a mission that you can perceive, or it's just the culture is not, um, one that rewards the efforts of people like you. And, and so that ends up, you know, in that sort of mode of burnout where you're living for the weekends and you do not care. And like your goal is to actually evade work as much as possible because you just, you just don't care. So I kind of think of it in those two bulk categories. 
And like you teed up, I mean, I think the first one is much more relevant for levels at this stage where we, we are mission driven, where we're, many of us are like passionate and mission aligned for the company. And we, we really do want to move the ball forward, but we're early and resources are, are the limiting factor for sure. And we have this like deep, deep work async culture where it's like, you know, you're kind of just operating in, in your own life in a sense, you're, you're not in a, in an office environment where you can kind of like go for coffee chats and decompress a little bit. So a lot of us will like, just, you know, I'll take my calendar and just block the whole thing for nine hours. Be like, this is going to be writing time. And then I will actually do that. And then I surface and my brain is like exploding. And I, I, I'm just, the day is gone and I feel like I didn't get enough done. And so I'm pushing well into, into late hours. And nobody told me to do that. There's nobody like looking over my shoulder, telling me to, to sit there in the chair. It's just almost this like, it, it's this self-reinforcing mode where I am my harshest critic in, in the deep async environment, I think. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of the ones that I'm, I don't have a solution either, but it seems like just being aware that we have that environment that we're building inside of and, and setting up guardrails against it is the best approach. Yeah, I like this framing and I think it's worth calling out the environmental conditions that can lead to burnout. And I think that there are sort of two classes, as Josh was alluding to, there are negative and maybe unhealthy ones. So for example, that exhaustion that might come from cognitive dissonance around needing to work really hard, but hating the environment you're in or not feeling aligned with the culture or not liking your manager or not feeling motivated to do the work. Um, but then there are also a lot of positive conditions that you want to some extent in any work environment that can also lead to burnout. And I think that that right now is more the case at levels. And so I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. A lot has to do with just the type of people that we've attracted to date. And like, you want very hardworking people. You want conscientious people who care a lot about the quality of their work and how they're perceived by their teammates. Um, you want people that are really passionate about the mission and they're prioritizing their work maybe over some other aspects of their life. Of course, not all of them. And I think we definitely have many people that have been highly visible at the company who fall into that category. And I think like it does create a culture where there is more, there can be more self-imposed pressure. And I think this is the thing that I struggle with, which is like, even when you think about hiring or the type of people that you want to join the team, I'll still find myself feeling like we absolutely have to avoid overwork and burnout at all costs. And then there's this part of me that's like, well, like in order to win, in order to succeed, like I still want to keep hiring the best, hardest working people for the quote unquote team. And I think there are probably a lot of analogies here to like sports teams that are some healthy and some not. One of the many things that we do with Levels is create content about metabolic health. The main thing that we do is we have an app. The Levels app pairs with the continuous glucose monitor so you can track your glucose in real time. More than 40,000 people have used Levels to lose weight, gain energy, and increase longevity. You can see how things like food, sleep, exercise, stress, and environmental factors affect your metabolic health. And Levels is backed by some of the best thought leaders in the world, including Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Robert Lustig, and Dr. Mark Hyman, amongst others. To learn more about Levels and track your blood sugar in real time, join Levels at levels.link company. 
I think the moment I started thinking about burnout, I think it was part of my, my performance review, maybe, or maybe like an annual check-in or something that you and I were having a conversation. And I said, just sort of off the cuff, I realized, you know, a year in or something that I'd felt behind since the day I got here. And, and I didn't mean a lot by it, but I think it really caught you. And I think it spurred you to kind of go like, Hey, that's not the feeling we want folks to have. Um, and that got me thinking about exactly what you're saying, Tom, the sort of positive conditions that lead to burnout. Because even as I said that, I said, look, it's not because anybody's been riding me. It's not that, you know, Sam's been on me to publish more or that, you know, um, anybody's coming at me about why haven't you executed these priorities? It's just that in a completely self-directed way, I know all the stuff that needs to be done. I want it all to get done. I want us to succeed. I want my department to do well. Um, and so it feels like there's a, there's no end to the, to the things you can do. And there is a little bit of that voice that I think you're getting at Tom of like, on one hand, we have an environment that says, please have a work-life balance, use the async nature to set your own schedule, take weekends, unplug, take the mandatory week of vacation every quarter. And the other part of you goes like, yeah, but if I do that, I'm just going to fall further behind. Like, then it's going to be a week in which I'm going to spend a week catching up and like, you know, yeah, I can take this weekend off, but then Monday's going to suck because I'm going to have all these other things. And, and I don't know how to, I don't know that there's any practical way to get out of that. It feels like a, to have an environment that continues to support that to your point, Tom is important, right? Because if you do have managers yelling at you to do more than you have capability, then, then it's very difficult to get out of it. And we have all the productivity hacks in the world here. We have all the people talking about how to efficiently use time and deep work and calendaring and scheduling and to-dos. But I'm, I, I'm coming to just increasingly think like it's just a state of mind thing. Like you just have to come to a point where whatever that voice is, you silence it and you go. It's almost some degree of like you have to almost embrace some degree of apathy of like it's not going to get done and I don't care. Like I'm not going to get fired and it'll be fine. Um, but man, that's hard to stomach. Like at least for me and I suspect for most of the folks here, that is a hard feeling to entertain and take seriously. I just think we should expand on this point. I think it's really important. There are obvious signs of burnout, right? Like if we think about the corporate lawyer who's working in his office until 3 a.m. and then is back every morning at six or seven, which I'm thinking of my older brother now, that's very clear that it's an unhealthy environment. Um, but I would love to unpack other like signs, even thoughts that you might have or other heuristics that you can use that like you might not be on the right track. I'd, I'd love to hear from you, Josh, because you've, I know, have had some experience with this. Well, you know, I think I'll kind of try and connect these these thoughts in a <laughs> in a fairly linear way. But we we do have a a weird culture in a way where when you come into this into this company, and for for a lot of people, like the objective of remote work pre, at, a, at previous companies, if they've done it at all, has been this is temporary. We can't wait to get out of it. This is like a an enforced thing. So then you come into into our company where our objective is not to change and it's actually to reinforce deep work and in all of these ways. But, you know, we also do weird things like say, ignore emails from the CEO. Like you, you're, you have to change the way you think about communications to the extent that you can prioritize and task manage and, and triage and, and calendar and all those, all those things that kind of go against an internal, like just a, a Pavlovian response that we've developed in our careers that, no, I have to jump on this thing immediately. And so I, I agree with what Haney was saying was that, um, you know, we, we almost have to deprogram in a way 
the the recognition or, or, or we have to just become super comfortable with the recognition that there will always be more to do, especially in a sort of a first mover market where, you know, when you look around, like we're watching in the news, metabolic health is becoming a thing. There's a new, you know, quote unquote competitor or someone else working in metabolic health every day or every week. And there's a lot of pressure. You know, people are, we, we want to win the space and succeed. And so it, even if nobody in the organization is saying, we got to move faster, we got to move, you know, we got, we need more urgency. And uh, I'll, I'll caveat, in fact, the opposite is happening. Sam has like actively pushed back against the use of the term urgency uh, in our culture. But no, even without somebody, you know, expressing that deliberately, the pressure builds. We all know what we're trying to achieve. We know the odds. And, um, and so, you know, telling yourself to, <laughs> to slow down or be more deliberate is, at a certain point, I, I think it's um, it's unlikely at best. So, you know, in my in my past experiences, I've been at other companies where I I have experienced what I would call overexertion burnout. You know, at SpaceX in particular, like every minute of every day, you knew like essentially the number of hours left in the company's life, and when you'd be back on the you know on the the job boards looking for something if if we didn't succeed, and the pressure was literally you know stated. If, if you have extra hours where you're not doing anything and you're at home, come to work and work instead. <laughs> like, don't go home. Um, we brought laundry services in-house. We brought food in-house. It got to the point where I was sleeping under my desk and um, I wasn't the only one. So that environment, like I didn't hate it, but it burned me out. Uh, I just didn't have anything left. And um, that was really interesting to experience because I still have like a, a tremendous amount of passion for the mission over there, but obviously I left, you know, and I, I left because I had other passions that were stronger. And also I had a desire to like get more control of my life and my lifestyle. <laughs> you know, I was, I was living the same life that I had been living for six years. Uh, still had roommates, hadn't moved the ball forward in, in a bunch of ways that I wanted to, because there just wasn't any time to focus on it. So I know that the culture we're building, we're building here is not that. And that's why I was so attuned, you know, Haney, when you, when you brought that up, I was so attuned because it sounded so familiar. It was like, yeah, no, nobody's pushing you to do that, but you're doing it anyway. And, you know, the, what you were describing was like, it reminded me of the theme that I felt, except I was being explicitly told to do this. So it was a bit surprising. I was like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, maybe this is a thing that we will see self-replicate if we don't draw attention to it earlier. Um, so anyway, that's a, a bit of a ramble, but I think it, it was surprising to me and I had a conversation with Sam about, about this and, you know, Sam is of the mind that, you know, we want to build a culture where people have the recognition that if they burn out, it is because they are pushing themselves in that direction and they are the only ones who can push back, if that makes sense. It's like, we, we have to raise that awareness because otherwise we'll be like hoping and praying that we find the signs for someone else before it's too late, so to speak. I mean, I think that the founding team has done a great job at making it explicit what we're aiming for. And, you know, I'm thinking about Sam, I'm thinking about you, Josh. And Sam has been very clear that he, he would even go as far to say that if you feel like you are overwhelmed and busy, and I'm now two days in a row recording podcasts where I'm putting words in Sam's mouth, but that it is a sign that you are not in control of your time or your to-do list in a way that is optimal. And it should serve as a 
signal to you that you need to take some action around getting more in control of your work. And I think to Sam, that would be some version of either, you know, automating the thing, delegating the thing. I mean, we have a framework for this and and I think hiring is sort of the last step. But that was pretty eye-opening to me because it forced me to constantly look at my own day and my own work and not be a martyr that essentially was striving to be overworked because that would then serve as a proxy for me that I was doing the right thing. But rather, uh, there's improvement that that needs to happen here. And I think for me, I have definitely been sort of not close to burnout at levels, but I have found... I bump up, bumped up against those signs where I will start to feel like, okay, if I'm not working at night or on the weekend, then I feel like I've taken vacation and I'm falling behind. And I think that that is, that is a very good proxy for knowing that you're probably not on the right path or you need to get in better control of your time. And I was, I was recently in um, Mexico for a couple of weeks, mostly working remotely. And I started to tell friends that like, you know, I, I couldn't go to the dinner that we were planning or, or whatnot. And I was basically saying that like, guys, I've been work. it feels like I've been working half time and we've had stuff going on and I just need to put in a few days and nights of like long hours. And I got feedback from people who were like, listen, you've been working all day, every day. Like you've been working totally normal hours. And it sounds like you're saying that just because you're not working on Saturday or at night that you're like, working half hours, but you're not working half time right now. Like this is a normal day's work. And I think that highlighted for me, like, yeah, that, that like I needed to reflect on what, what would be optimal, I guess, if I was adequately controlling my workload. Yeah. That calibration is really difficult, I think. And I'm curious about both of your thoughts on how we can share calibration across like heuristics are, are good. Um, we have a heuristic at the like societal level of, you know, 40 hour work weeks, that's the heuristic. And so if, if people are voluntarily like opting into nights, weekends, you know, 80 hour weeks, that is not sustainable. We know that, but some people just prefer to work more and we don't want to develop, you know what I mean? And so you can kind of like accidentally calibrate on someone else's efforts. And this is, I think the problem and also the solution is like, we, we both want people to be able to work the weekend if they didn't, you know, if they need to flex it because they didn't want to work in the middle of the week. We don't want to have to, you know, set some enforced schedule. And, you know, if Sam is doing email from the airplane on a Saturday night, uh, it doesn't mean that everyone else needs to jump to their inboxes on Saturday nights, right? And so how, how do we, I'm curious how you all think about how we can both represent the flexibility and the heuristics of, of balance without accidentally creating these sort of unintentional and perverse uh, feedback loops that where people are copying all of the all of the most extreme behaviors. I think that is one of the most difficult things here because you know when I started here and it was you know early days um, and I heard the you know quarter of vacation you know per week of vacation per quarter mandatory policy, and I didn't buy it because I'm like, that seems insane, right? That's like more vacation than than almost anywhere would ever give. And so I looked around to see if anybody was taking it. And some people were, but a lot of people were not. And people, and we talked about the sense, but like a lot of folks in leadership were not. And so I went like, well, that's not a real thing. Like, that's a thing that, that we're saying you can do. And I watched people do it and they did it and they didn't get fired. So I knew it was an option. 
but it also didn't feel like a thing I should probably do if I wanted to like be in the good graces of the team. And I think that kind of default setting or that kind of demonstration, particularly from leadership is where this gets tricky is like, I totally take Sam's point and a hundred percent believe him having worked with him a long time now when he says, look, I'll work 80 hour weeks because that's legitimately how I want to spend my time. It in no way means that's what I expect from you. Um, but that's still a hard one to get around. And I know Casey works a ton and I know Josh, you work a ton and I know Ben works a ton. You know, it's like you look around and you see, at least from what we can tell, colleagues working at all hours of the night and and not in the sense I think there's two things to, to pick apart in what you were just saying one is that notion of a flexible schedule which I think is a little bit easier to wrap your head around to say like oh you know I I take two hours off in the middle of the day because I got to take care of my kid um but you know then I'll make it up at night right but I'm still working the same amount of time as opposed to boy this person seems to be working constantly like I'm getting emails in the morning and in the afternoon and at night and on the weekends they're posting the threads they're on all the time and I don't again I don't know any practical way other than like just convincing myself that it that that's okay and it doesn't matter and I can go ahead and work less if I want to work less and it won't be taken as like well I mean, we could be doing more in editorial, but, you know, I don't know, I guess Haney wants to, like, do other things with his time. Um, nobody would explicitly say that here, but it's hard to escape that feeling, you know, of like, well, everybody else is working a lot. Like, why aren't I? A lot of this seems like it can be derived from our sort of call your shots culture with upfront sort of deep, deep thinking on memos and strategies. And, you know, you, for example, you, you wrote the content strategy doc. I can't even remember when that was. And then proceeded to like just nail every bullet point. And so having something that I've always found very helpful, and there is a, a double edge to this sword for sure, which I'll get to, but having known objectives with, with deadlines or dates attached, and I, I don't like deadline because that's, you know, someone's going to be hammering on your desk if you don't hit it. I more so like a target that we're all sort of expectations are set on and it, it can move with new information. But having that really helps me as an individual knowing how I operate, I'm much better when I know in time when something has to be done because I can scope the amount of like how deep I go on that specific task. So, so a lot of it is, I think, just having the anti-priorities or, or the priorities and thus excluding the everything outside of that box is really helpful uh, for people to, you know, when you're stepping into this role and you could do infinite things to push the ball forward, but instead just saying, I'm going to scope what I work on to, um, to set expectations. And then once you're able to like get through a full cycle and see, I actually had, you know, I was able to do that with a pretty lax schedule. And, um, you know, so I can actually, you know, probably upregulate a little bit, or in fact, I only hit three of 10 items, um, over this quarter. And so maybe I need to think about, you know, delegating more or scaling myself. And, uh, those, those items I think are really helpful and probably the way that we need to go long-term to help each person recognize this is, you know, this is how we want to do things. Call your shots, execute, learn, improve. Um, the, the other side of the, the coin, I think, is that when you have dates, um, well, I guess the, the challenge is procrastination. You know, if you, if you set, for me, this is something that I've, I've also wanted to bring up on this topic, is that I tend to create the circumstances for my own, <laughs> my own overexertion by knowingly procrastinating on items that are looming overhead. 
And I'm curious if you all have a similar experience here, but you know, if I set a date in the future, um, I'll do a ton of work that is like tangential, peripheral, helpful, but not the thing until the moment that it is, you know, until like the last moment. And so I really do need, this is, this is why I like the dates is that it, it helps me to fixate on that objective. But if it's too far in the future, it's too abstract. And, and this is another challenging thing is like, how do we create execution without creating relentless dates that are constantly chasing people? And, um, you know, I don't, I don't like the fear, uncertainty and doubt of, you know, feeling as though someone is, is, you know, wielding a, a schedule over you. But at the same time, I'm, I'm just curious how often you all feel that, that, that the time crunch is either helpful or harmful. I'm not sure I have an answer to that. I certainly relate and I struggle mightily with procrastination and I should probably revisit Tim Urban's blog about it for some more inspiration these days because I feel like it's gotten worse recently. Um, so I'm going to sidestep that question. A couple of thoughts from earlier. First, just Haney wanted to say that I, I feel very similarly and I think I have gotten frustrated maybe at levels and other places as well when people will say things like, it doesn't matter if you work 40 hours or 100 hours, just get your work done. And my response is often like, well, the person... You know, assuming all other things being equal, the person working 100 hour, 100 hours a week, if I'm working 40 or 50, is going to be creating a lot more value for the company. And like, yes, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing better work. But if I were to find five more hours in every single day by waking up at 5 a.m. or working until midnight, like assuming whatever, I get enough sleep for my brain to function, I'm going to be doing more and sending more emails and producing more documents. And like, that is probably better. And so I don't have an answer for that, but like, I just think it's important to acknowledge that, that often people will say like, it's never better to work more hours. And even if someone's putting in more hours than you, like it is no sign at all that they might be actually doing more work. And I'm like, well, it might be. Um, so that's one. I think a lot of it comes down to modeling, which we've sort of mentioned, but I distinctly remember many different points from people in leadership, Sam, Casey, even Andrew, early days when I remember this one day where like Casey sent a picture of a hike she was on at like 2 p.m. on a Wednesday and like my world changed. I was like, whoa, like, so I can go for a walk in the middle of the day. And, you know, I'm an adult here at Levels and I know that, but there was just something fundamentally different about seeing someone who I respected, who I know works really hard. And it was just a glimpse into the fact that like this must happen every so often with Casey. like She's not always working. And I think that's important to acknowledge that it's really easy to think based on when communication happens in the digital world that people are working all the time. And I've come to realize that even the people I think that are working all the time are not working all the time. And like, if you really were to go down their schedule with them, like they're taking breaks, they're doing other things, they're not working all the time. And it's easy to sort of assume the worst in terms of how people are working relative to you. And then lastly, for me, something that's been critical is just knowing what my non-negotiables are. And that clarifies things for me. Like I'm pretty militant about like getting eight hours of sleep and then reasonably strict about exercise. And I've just gotten to a point in my life where I rarely compromise on those things. And so um, there have been times in the past where I'm like, I don't have time to exercise today. And it's been four days since I've exercised, but like I need to do email. And now when I start to have those thoughts, I'll be like, 
hell no. And I'll get frustrated with myself and I'll just immediately go to the gym. And I think that like, if you are carving out time, some social time, sleeping eight hours, like reading your book, exercising family, if you have a family, then that is setting really healthy boundaries. And there shouldn't then be another 20 hours left in the day where you could be working. I'm curious on that point, Tom, uh, and Josh, if you have the same experience, because you two are both far fitter than me, which tells me that you are prioritizing exercise. Um, when you do that, right, when you decide like, no, nope, I got to go exercise, it's like whatever time of the day I'm going to do my workout. Do you then make up for that by like working that evening? Like, does it does it come out? Because that's what I found myself doing is like, I'd like to work out during the middle of the day because it's like when my kid's at school and I sort of have the freedom and time to go do it and my gym isn't busy. But then like, then it's like after dinner and it's eight o'clock and it's like, well, I better put in a couple hours now because like I screwed around in the middle of the day and went and like didn't work. And, you know, I think I think this kind of part of the conversation to me feels like it's I don't feel like any of that's contributing to burnout. You know, I think this is more about sort of overwork, but I think this is probably still relevant as it is like a step on the way to burnout, right? It's like if you were living in a state of feeling perpetually behind, you were probably even in a very, in that sort of positive path to burnout that we talked about before. I'm curious how you guys think about still sort of structuring your day. I mean, I guess the last thing I'll say about it maybe as a framework for this is something I've been trying to think about and I haven't mastered is I've always worked with the mindset kind of like you were talking about at SpaceX, that like, if I didn't have anything else to do, I should be working, right? Like work sort of takes the priority and everything else slots in as opposed to, you know, my dad worked at a factory all his life. It was like, you went into work at 7 a.m., the, the whistle blew at two, and there was no sense that you would do anything else, right? Like work just happened during this very specified time and the rest of the day was yours. And earlier this year, I tried completely readjusting my calendar from like blocking out personal things and assuming all the other time was work to like only blocking out work times and trying to assume that everything else is personal and it has not worked at all. I've completely ignored everything that's come up when it goes like, I, I schedule email and comms, but other than that, when there's like a block of time that comes up that goes work, it's like, I whatever, I'm like already working, I'm gonna work later. So I'm curious how you guys think about that scheduling component. First of all, I'm pretty sure you were a, a much more capable endurance athlete than I will ever be. <laughs> I'm like struggling to keep uh, any, any form of fitness going right now, it's hundred and something degrees outside. And, uh, to Tom's point, it's like, it's either got to happen in the morning or it's got to happen in the evening for workouts for me. Um, so it's, it's not currently interfering with my work schedule, but I will say that my approach to, to this has been, you know, I used to try and manage two different calendars and I still do this to some extent. I still have like, you know, two email accounts. And, um, I, I think that what's worked best for me is managing my whole life from one calendar and blocking, you know, if I block off dinner and I, I block off my, my calendar for a workout that is at a time that is reasonable, it's like, it's going to both be cool enough that I can actually do it, but also late enough that I'm not deluding myself. You know, I'm not going to work out at 5 a.m. I've tried, it's just not the person that I am. And so, you know, I've shifted that to the point where I now know that the length of time it takes me to, to go through the motion, get to the gym, get home, you know, get showered, have, have breakfast. Like that needs to be entirely accounted for. Otherwise it devolves. And I'm like trying to, I'm, I'm double booked. I'm, you know, some days it gets overbooked and I don't go at all. It's the first thing to drop. And I know that my psychology, like it, if I'm not consistent the way Tom is describing with sleep and exercise, like my quality of, 
of output is a disaster and my mood is not good. So it's, it is truly part of my, it has to become part of my work ethic. These are not, you know, these are not two different concepts. And so I think that it has been helpful for me to, to combine and have my personal life represented on my work calendar and use calendar management tools like Calendly so that when I do want to set up a meeting with somebody else, they, they, they cannot overbook um, my life. You know, that, that's the non-negotiable going forward. And I found that there, there are essentially zero downsides. You know, even in cases where uh, an important meeting you know, gets bumped out a few days or a week, uh, overall, the, you know, we can use asynchronous tools to exchange you know, information. We can, there are ways to work around a calendar that includes your non-negotiables. And it's a little bit uncomfortable at first, I think, for people to, to like step up and assert themselves, especially early in your career, I think. A lot of us now, we have enough time under our belts that we're like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is my non-negotiable. I don't think a lot of people who are fresh out of school know that yet about themselves. And so maybe this is where, um, Tom, I really liked your example of just seeing Casey out taking a walk in the middle of the day was, was like a big, a big indicator that tells me we should be doing more of this stuff because, you know, yesterday at noon, um, I went to the gym and that's, that was rare. It was hundred degrees, but like, I just needed to, I needed to get away from the table and I just felt the urge and I probably should have shared that. Um, and, and then, you know, I think maybe the other thing is setting expectations and communication. I think there's a big value to feeling like, you know, if everyone has the same context, like this thing is on track or not on track, it kind of helps to not feel this pressure that you're being judged by some outside entity who is determining whether or not your efforts are sufficient. You know, like nobody's sitting here measuring, uh, you know, butts and seats time or anything like that. And in fact, if you do go work out in the afternoon and you you think to yourself, now I got to make up for this by working until 11 p.m., um, it's it's likely that no one's going to notice that either. <laughs> so if it's a signaling thing, it's only signaling to yourself. And um, and that's that's another thing that I think we need to reinforce is that you you don't need to like this is not zero sum. The goal is to like set up the lifestyle that you can continuously execute within and feel really good. And I, and I think that's where the like high performing team or professional athlete concept really resonates is like, you don't want to see the best athletes not sleeping and ignoring their workouts because they're, they're just watching film or whatever, 24 seven, like you need them to have a balanced lifestyle to execute. And I think similarly, I know it's a tired trope, but similarly, we, we really do want people to have a balanced life across the board. And we need to represent that at, you know, with people who are further in their careers and, and in leadership in particular. Yeah. I have so many thoughts right now. I guess I'll start with Haney to answer your question. Sometimes I am going back to the computer later on at night. If I were to be doing something during the day, I'm almost always working out during, during the workday actually. Um, and it all depends on your own schedule, right? Like, so I'm almost always doing some work on the weekends, but that's because I like doing that. I like waking up on a Saturday morning and going to a coffee shop and clearing my email for a couple hours and I don't have a family. And so I have that flexibility. And so I, I know that I'm working, you know, enough hours, right? Like I, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm working enough hours overall. And so then it comes down to the non-negotiables and like the actual definition of a non-negotiable, like health is a non-negotiable for me. And so I don't care. Like another specific example would be, I used to think that I could do one non-work related thing every day. So like I got 
into a habit at some point, and this is partially a product of COVID when no one had social lives, but I would get, I got into this space where someone would be like, can you do drinks or a dinner tonight? And in my head, it was like, no, because I'm going to the gym. And I was like, okay, this is, this isn't good. Like if I'm going to the gym at my normal time, which might be 2 PM, that doesn't mean that I can't have dinner with friends because I'm choosing exercise as my like one thing. And again, getting back to sort of non-negotiables, it's like, I have decided that having social relationships is important to me. And I've also decided that exercise is important to me and I can do both. And like end of story, basically. Um, and it's not to say that that happens every single night, but I think that, yeah, I think it's just important to talk about these things. And I remember having a conversation with Sam once where he explained, as he has to many people, that he is making this choice to work many hours a week right now and that it's what he wants to be doing. And then he said something that struck me, which is that almost certainly at some point up ahead in his life, he's not going to want to work this many hours, even if he's still CEO of Levels. And I think at the time, you know, he was single and he was sort of making this choice to spend all of his waking hours on Levels. And he was like, but in the future, I'll probably be in a relationship and I might have other priorities and I might work half the hours. And like, that's going to be okay too. And I don't know, for me, a lot of just these conversations and behaviors that I've witnessed are the things that have changed my attitude and, and mindset and made me a little bit more comfortable with, with living a balanced life. I'm curious how much, um, how much of the, the forcing functions that, that you both have experienced that are pushing you to the border where you're starting to be like, okay, I'm headed, I'm, this is not a good direction. How much of it is uh, drawing on like hustle culture that you're seeing other people portraying and how much of it is just something that was like second nature did it on your own. We're just like heading in this direction through self-reinforcing behaviors. I, 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 like how, how, I don't know if the question is making sense, but was it something that you felt you needed to do that led you in that direction because somebody else is out there, you know, saying grind hard, don't sleep, you sleep when you're dead type stuff. Or is it, this just was a natural emergent behavior that you found out was like, okay, there, I can over index in that direction. I need to set up a little guardrail for myself. For me, it's been, it's been both in different environments. So when I was uh, younger and I was working in, in editorial, I, you know, I went to grad school to be a journalist. I got out, I got my dream job working at Popular Science. I wanted to be in magazines. I wanted to be in science. And I, I remember legitimately saying and actually feeling this at one point that if I won the lottery tomorrow, I wouldn't quit this job because it was all I wanted to spend my time doing. And, and I think that was that feeling of, you know, um, of, you know, like I said, I didn't have anything else going on. And I was, and I was happy to work all that time, kind of the way Sam's talking about now, like that's what he wants to spend all his time doing. But in a subsequent job, when I was, you know, kind of in, in your position, Josh, where I was a, a founder, but not a CEO, um, but very much a kind of heart and soul of a company that I started, I completely burned myself out because I was pushing myself to I felt like everything fell back on me. That that word you use, Tom, of martyr is like what I very much recognized it. at one point. It had just gotten so habitual that as the as the known kind of center of the company in some ways, I felt everything came back to me. If I wasn't working constantly, I was signaling the wrong things. I was not setting the company up for success. And it became such a part of my identity to be that guy. You know, it's also like there's a Midwestern work ethic thing in here where it's like I've always said, well, I might not be the smartest, but I can outwork anybody. You know, it's like 
it just so becomes a part of your identity that like, I will kill myself. I can sleep when I'm dead, whatever. Not because anybody else was necessarily saying it, although it was the culture we created, but it was like, I was a part of creating that culture by modeling that behavior and defining myself by those sort of terms. Um, but very much sort of self-driven. I feel like at levels I've not, it's been a very different experience. And and, I, and while I've not come close to burnout here, the times I have felt exhausted or felt like, man, I feel like I'm working too much or I would like to get away from it or just those kind of niggling feelings, like I said, of sort of, oh, I feel constantly behind is very, is actually some of it's driven, I guess, the, that still the, that sort of residue that we've been talking about of feeling like I have to perform in that way or it being a part of my identity. But part of it is that kind of that kind of hustle culture. Like we have a different hustle culture here, right? It's like not that kind of working in finance or like you said, the sort of corporate law type of thing where that's the environment. But again, it's an environment where people are working a lot. People are mission driven. And and even the kind of like time management, time hack stuff, the degree to which I made the comment at one point here, and I think Ms. put it in the burnout memo that if you're feeling overworked here, you're feeling like you're not managing things, you can't blame anybody else. It's like on you because we let people manage their own schedule. We've talked about it here, right? That Sam has said, like, you need to recognize the signs in yourself. You need to fix it. Well, that's true. And in many ways, that's great. But it also puts it back on you because then you're like, well, if I'm overworked, or feeling too busy. It's just that I'm not being efficient enough with my time. Like I'm not a time whiz like Sam or like Miz is, you know, like, oh man, those guys seem to like get so much done so quickly. How do I do that? And like, I just need to get better at calendaring and like, then I can fix it. So I, I think it's a, at least for me, it's a little bit of both, right? It's a little bit of self-identity thing, but also it is a little bit of like that unique levels hustle culture that can make you feel like you could always be doing more to like better manage your life or be more efficient or whatever. That's really interesting. I, I hadn't thought of, of it in that way. And I, I think I can totally see, and I have experienced this as well, you know, coming from being a mechanical engineer to like working in information management, the way that someone like Sam does so effortlessly, it was like a total shock and awe campaign. I mean, my inbox has never been at zero before levels and like, didn't even know what that concept meant. Um, I used unread email as the, <laughs> as the like triage uh, mechanism, but, you know, learning a lot and seeing what, what stuff works and what doesn't has been unique, but a lot of it has come from like essentially coaching sessions with people like Sam who have, who have done this for a long time. It's not about catching the signs of burnout. It's more about being able to, like you said, when you say it's on you to to catch the signs that I think is true, but it is always helpful to have a secondary perspective, like a third party that you can communicate with. And we don't really have that like cultural mechanism in place. We're experimenting with executive coaching right now across like a, a bunch of people on the team to try to see like, is this a mechanism that can help with the early onset signs of burnout, you know, get, get ahead of it because you have a third party who's looking out, who's not a part of our culture. You know, they, they understand it, but they're not working inside of it. And so they can say, hey, this is like, potentially going to lead you in the wrong direction. I'm just interested in, in whether that feels like a, a technique that would help in, in your, your opinions or what else we might be able to do inside the culture to, to like be, be that backboard for people so that they don't just constantly self-reinforce that I'm the problem. Yeah. I think for me, it's been really helpful just knowing how much we value, not just efficiency and time management tactics, but we actually value having a chill environment and like a 
chill, non-busy workday. And this has come up more and more recently. And it's been really helpful for me. Like Sam will say, busy is not good. And like, we all should have, like we should be striving for a relaxed, non-urgent workday. And the more we talk about this internally, the more I believe it. And then it, it gives me license to try to cultivate that. Whereas for most of us, being relaxed and, for example, I live in New York City and like there's a, there has long been just sort of a busyness epidemic here. And it's always been fascinating to me that the first thing you say to anyone who asks, how, how's, how's everything going? How's work going? First thing out of your mouth is just, good, just busy. Yeah, everything's going well. They're just real busy. That's just how every single conversation starts. And I started doing it. And like that, should not be the first instinct. And that signals a problem if you're a levels employee and that is your first response. And like, I think that's just really Im- important as a value that that's what we're striving. And, and to, to be really good at your job, it means that you, you have control over your work. Uh, but then in terms of tactics, like I think we've gotten better at this around everything from these frameworks for offloading work, right? So, you know, sitting down with your person you're managing and saying like, how are you feeling? What would you estimate your bandwidth is at right now? And then let's look at your scope of work and figure out what you can get rid of. Like having that conversation all the time around what you can get rid of, I think is really important. And another thing coming to mind now, probably a million of these, but someone said that you know you should have enough slack in your work week where when you're starting your work week, your calendar should be like 60 or 70 or 80. I don't know what it is. It's called 70% full. And then if things come up, which they probably will, then you can slot them into that other time. Um, and the 100% pie there not being all of your time, but being whatever you're allocating towards work. Uh, that that was also just illuminating to me because it's like, I shouldn't go into Monday blocking every minute of every day and feeling like if I end up cleaning my kitchen for 30 minutes on Monday, then I'm going to start falling behind and never catch up. But rather, like my schedule starts chill. And if I can stay on top of things, it remains chill. It was actually echoes of something that, that we talk a lot about, you know, and what we're trying to do with our, our product and our service for people, which is promote health rather than fix sickness. And I think if we think of burnout the same way that, you know, we, we, uh, several of us have caveated in this conversation of like, well, we're not quite at burnout or we haven't approached that point yet, or we're not burned out at levels. But like, it's almost as though at levels, the term should almost never come up, right? Like the goal should be to create an environment that, that, you know, that promotes sort of health in the sense of a healthy work environment and keeps us at that kind of chill workplace vibe. And that the departure from that is, is so minor, but even noticeable at a small amount that you don't ever get to that point, right? The chronic disease condition doesn't build under the, (laughs) under the surface for so long, Whereas I think the normal, when we talk about burnout is like, you know, by the time you're there, like you're really sick already and like something has gone horribly wrong and getting back from that state is, you know, is a mess. I mean, when I did the one other job I felt that in, like, I just quit. Like I left a job that was like paying well, working well. I just had a kid, like it was insane. My wife didn't have a job at the time. And I was like, nope, I'm leaving. Like, I'm done. Can't do it anymore. And it was like, at that point, things are broken. And now I look back, I'm like, why did I do that? Boy, I should have like stayed there. And it was like, because at the time it felt like no other option. And we don't, you know, want to get to that point. And I think tying this back to the sort of, you know, 
efficiency systems, time management, you know, time hack kind of stuff that we do here. I, I like what you're saying about like making sure that we are continually modeling that the point of that stuff is not to make you ever more efficient and squeeze more work into a smaller space, but it is a hundred percent with this goal of like being healthy in terms of your, your work-life balance. Like it is to buy you free time. It's not to like squeeze more work in and like, you know, make you feel like you ever have to do, you know, more and more and more. I guess that, you know, the train, the analogy would be like overtraining. It's like you can get better, better at training, but if you use that to like burn your body out, you're not getting healthier. Yeah. It, you know, I, I loved what you said about, um, you know, when, when you were in just your, your element and it was like, even winning the lottery couldn't convince me to leave this job. I think we have this assumption, which I, I hope we'll, we'll be able to, we will be able to maintain for, you know, two orders of magnitude of growth at levels, which is that people are here because they really, really care about what we're doing and want it to exist. They're, they're not doing, you know, a job that pays the bills. They're both doing the job that pays the bills, but they're, they're working on a mission that they care about. If we can assume that, then all we need to do is set you know, set those people up for success so that they're operating in a way that is like borderline optimal. Optimal is probably hard to get to, but pretty close. And then we've got a really exceptional circumstance because you have people who have no intentions of moving on necessarily. They're here to execute towards the mission and they're set up to be able to do so. They're not going to burn out and drop off. And um, that's ultimately the goal is like, yeah, I mean, a chill work environment yeah, I bet it'll be interesting to, to hear. I'd love to pull people in like the Silicon Valley tech scene because I think a, lo a lot of people have these like knee-jerk negative reactions to that sort of statement. It's like, oh, you know, that's not how, you know, unicorns are built. Well, I, I disagree. I think that, you know, our, our semantic definition of chill is probably different. We're not talking about watching cat videos on YouTube all day. Although, you know, if you want to, nobody's going to stop you from doing so. It's the circumstances where your hair is not on fire. And, you know, when people are distracted and working on all of these catastrophic, unexpected problems all day, it's like, great, everyone's working at 100% capacity, but is that the most efficient way to take these people and turn them into, you know, the, a, a force that is able to like achieve the mission? And um, so, yeah, I mean, I was reading this, or actually I am actively reading this book called Creativity Inc., which is really good. It's about um, Pixar and, and their story. And it was he's describing the exact same circumstances, which is that the Pixar team was so obsessed with their work and just like thriving in this moment where computer animation was finally able to do something like Toy Story. And they had been wanting, you know, these were people who were working on the background technology for their whole careers. And then it became a reality and they were just crushing it. And Toy Story 2, I think they overcommitted. Uh, on schedule, or, or actually they, they threw away the whole script or something like that. And suddenly the, the schedule that they had was cut in half. And for the first time, and the only time, as far as, you know, as far as the book tells, they lost people to attrition due to, due to burnout. It was like a total culture destroyer. Um, and that experience was like, it was a financial success, but it, it threatened the, the overall arching success of, of Pixar because they just optimized for the wrong thing instead of pushing the release date out by a, a you know proportional amount they tried to over execute so i think those are the lessons that we're trying to push for here it's not not to have a you know a cush quote unquote work life balance it's more so just like 
give I don't think anyone here wants cush. They just want to find the right pace um, and match it to their capabilities so that, you know, they can continue to do so. It's like zone two training. You can just do this forever. It's cliche to say, but it's worth emphasizing that I think we all believe that we will perform better at our jobs. The bottom line, we will perform better at our jobs if we are not stressed and well slept. And like, there's a ton of research on this, even just it, like in the neuroscience and cognitive science space around just what happens to your brain when you're really stressed out. And there's a narrowing of focus and a narrowing of attention. And it's really good for certain tasks. Copy editing, copy editing is actually one of them, Haney. So maybe it does make sense for you to be stressed all the time. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but there are certain tasks where you perform better and you're more vigilant. Uh, but for anything that requires problem solving or creativity, like being in a relaxed and non-stressed state allows you to come up with more potential solutions and see like a broader landscape of possible solutions. And I think it's just important for us to keep that in mind. Like I, I genuinely feel good and get happy when I see like Sam doing something in his personal life or like Josh exercising or Casey going on a hike because I'm like, great, they're taking care of themselves. And like, I'm so invested in the success of this company that I know our team needs to be at their best. And I've absolutely been in the situation where a boss of mine at a previous company was so underslept and so stressed that at a certain point, I remember like he was working on board slides and it was like riddled with errors and oversights. And our team like talked to each other behind his back and was like, someone's got to step up and like get involved and we're going to take this over from him because he's just not in a position to be doing this right now. And it was a terrible feeling. It was like there was no captain, the, sh the helm of the ship. And yeah, like we, we, we all want each other to be as healthy as possible because it's going to uh, give us the best chance of success. The other place I, I think that really makes a difference is not only sort of doing your best work, but one of the other unique things about Levels Culture, at least unique from other places I've worked, is how relentlessly positive this place is, that everybody is very supportive it's just a generally optimistic and supportive and positive vibe. And I know it, at least for me, uh, if I'm feeling stressed or burnt out, that's really hard for me to, to live in that space. Like I'm much more likely to respond negatively to feedback or to like, you know, feel stressed out about an email or request and respond in a way that is not, I feel like in keeping with the levels culture, like I found the way to, to sort of live in that positive environment, which is awesome. It's one of my favorite things about working here because it is just, I get off every Friday forum and I like say to my wife, like, wow, that's like an invigorating meeting because like you just can't walk away from an experience here without sort of feeling good because everybody's just happy and like supportive and optimistic and like cheerful and, you know, but if, if we're, if any of us get burnt out, I think that's another thing that would start to fall. And I think that's when politics and backbiting and all sorts of the other negative culture stuff that comes up, if you don't relentlessly feed that positive vibe is also like that. That's what happens when people start getting stressed. So I think in addition to doing creative work, it's also just like creating the good attitude here. Yeah, it seems to be like almost an emergent thing where <clears throat> I think if the circumstances are right, people feel positive about how things are going. And if, um, you know, just thinking back to my, my SpaceX days. And yeah, I know this is the case of Tesla, like Elon would go and I, I think he talked about this in a recent, talked about this in a recent interview of some kind, but he was like, yeah, I had to sleep 
in, in 2017 or when the Model 3 like production line was being spun up and everything was, Tesla was on the brink of bankruptcy. Like it's like I had to sleep on the factory floor for weeks because if I didn't, then other people would would not like push as hard as I was pushing and everyone needed to push that hard. And it's just like that. that's how it's always been. And that that's one way to run a a culture and ecosystem is, you know, literally intervene in your body's physiology with caffeine to the point where you can stay out for 20 hours. And, uh, and then I've seen people burn out. I've seen people have stress induced immune responses where they developed, you know, whole body conditions that are very visible. And it's, um, it's something that other people look at as like, they're in the sort of ripple effect of that. They're like, I have kids, like, I can't, I can't have this happen to me. Like, what is this? Am I next sort of thing? And, um, yeah, I just, as much as I, you know, I'm proud of things that were achieved over there. I, the long game is to not operate in that environment and actually to use the positivity of the team and the like, you know, calibrate off, off that sort of, uh, signal, whether or not we're overextending ourselves. You know, it was, it was hard to say that a stand up meeting at SpaceX was a positive experience <laughs> back in those days. Um, so I love that. Uh, I, I think there's the, the one thing that I took away from this is as an action item is you need to create some process around mandatory time off. Um, maybe we can like set up a, a reminder or something to, <laughs> to get people to schedule it if it's not on the calendar. But I think, I think you're totally right. Heaney. We need, we need signals and just in the way that Elon would sleep on the floor to signal to people that, that that's what they should be doing. Like, I think we need probably the, the countervailing sort of signal for, for this culture. <laughs>